Well, good morning and uh, welcome uh, to TCC this morning. Uh, the Lord's given us another uh, beautiful day. My wife said this morning, every day that is without snow is just making this winter that much shorter, and, uh, and we appreciate that. And I'm coming from the farm background. I'm so uh, aware of the farmers not having the crop in, and there are a lot of farmers that are still, uh, still trying to get that crop in, so we pray for them. Well, at the end of this service, I, I want to have you identify an issue in your life that perhaps is difficult to surrender to the Lord. And this whole message is about that. So would you stand with me, please? Lord, I thank you for giving us this day, for a beautiful day. I thank you for your gracious love that you shower upon us. I thank you that you brought us all here this morning, Lord. I know some are traveling today, uh, but we're grateful to be here. And Lord, give us ears to hear the things that the Spirit is saying to us today. We love you. We honor you today. We place you in the highest place. And we ask your Holy Spirit to minister to us this morning as we look into your word. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Pastor Norb uh, launched us into a new series of messages last Sunday called The uh, Practice of Prayer. Uh, and by the way, last Sunday uh, was such a joy to be together. Uh, our first prayer summit followed by an awesome baptismal service. Uh, and so I just want to say thank you for making prayer a pivotal part of our ministry here, for being there, for praying, um, for participating. And we just pray God will help us build this as a strong foundation of ministry here at TCC and in the church plant. Last week, and again this week, we're going to be reminded of the importance of prayer. I think of the words of Corey Ten Boom. Uh, she said, the more I pray, the more coincidences I experience. Isn't that true? The more I pray, the more coincidences I experience. And uh, sometimes we say, oh, that was just a coincidence. But the more you pray, the more you see there's a lot of them that line up, and that's God at work. Andrew Murray used to say, when I work, I work. When I, pr when I pray, God works. And that's the value of prayer because our work has such limitation to it. But God, when he works, whoa, what an amazing uh, compass that he has to embrace all of our needs. Jim Zimbla, as you may know, is the pastor of Metropolitan Church in New York City. They've made prayer a part of their uh, DNA, and it's quite remarkable that on a Tuesday night, they have like 3,000 to 4,000 people come to pray on a Tuesday night. They line up in the streets trying to get into the building. And it's an evening where they do nothing but pray. Don't you know that God's at work in that place? House of Prayer. Prayer is this awesome opportunity for us to have fellowship with our Father God. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9 that God who has called you into fellowship with his Son Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. He's faithful. Genesis 5.22 says that Enoch walked with God. Well, how do you walk with God today? Through prayer. So we are continuing to learn about prayer 
and about building a church that values prayer. Uh, thank you for encouraging us in that journey. And I pray that uh, TCC and our new, new church plant, uh, Southwest, will be churches that are really built upon the foundation of prayer uh, for the glory of Christ. This morning I'd like you to think about the prayer of relinquishment. The prayer of relinquishment. Uh, my seminary prof, who is now in heaven, uh, taught us the prayer of relinquishment. Have you ever felt upset at God? Have you ever felt like you just don't get him? What is he up to? It seems like he messes things up for us. You ever been there? There are times when he lets horrific things happen. He seems to be away on vacation. He doesn't answer his mobile phone or his mail. I mean, he just blows tremendous opportunities to do things I know he can do. Things that would earn him great fame and many followers. And in times like that, we want to say with a scowl on our face, life hurts and it seems like you're gone. Where are you? Where are you? How do we reconcile our desire to trust in the existence of a God of love and power with the apparent absence of that love and power at some of life's most painful and opportune moments? Have you been there? I know you have. The Bible is actually quite articulate on the subject that I've raised. It speaks to us in the most personal and persuasive voice possible, in the voice of the one person who completely understands the hurt and the pain of human life, and yet he understands the heart of God. He understands both, and his name is Jesus. Would it be safe to assume that probably all of us have some struggles with prayer and struggles in prayer and that we have struggled in a variety of ways? But when I say the word struggle this morning, I'm thinking of our struggle in a particular area of our lives that is perhaps quite hard, quite difficult. And it's hard to give that area to the Lord and really submit to him in that area. Touch everything else, but don't touch that area. You have an area of your life that is hard to really submit to the Lord. Quite often our prayers are, Lord, give me this, and Lord, I need that, and Lord, there's this in my life, and I would really want you to favor me with that. But there is another prayer that's quite different. It's, uh, Lord, okay, I release. I release. Release me that I can release this thing. My theology prof used to talk about this prayer of relinquishment and just how important it was as you journey through life and you face some walls that don't want to fall down. And you probably never get the intensity of the struggle until you have to go through something and that just tests you to the core. And then, then you get it. What is the prayer of relinquishment? That's what we will learn today as we attend the School of Gethsemane. The School of Gethsemane is the passage that Heather read for us this morning. Our Lord's experience 
with that prayer. We're in the Gospel of Luke this morning. If you've got your Bibles with you or your phones, Luke chapter 22, verses 39 to 46. Jesus is now only hours away from the cross. He and his disciples have some time together in the upper room. Judas, uh, Jesus lets Judas know that he is aware of the scheme. I think that's noteworthy. He knows, he knows, he knows what's happening. And Judas is aware that Jesus knows. The writer John says that Jesus and his men crossed the Kidron Valley on their way to the Mount of Olives, specifically the Garden of Gethsemane. Now the word Kidron means murky and dark, and Gethsemane means olive press. And so those are two significant names for what is about to happen. Murky and dark and pressed. And in that garden, Jesus prayed. Jesus said, pray that you will not give in to temptation. And then he put a little space between himself and his men, and he knelt down and he prayed and he said, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And Luke writes that an angel actually came to Jesus in those moments and strengthened him. It was a great struggle. There was a battle going in the heart of, on in the heart of our Savior. In fact, the struggle was so great that, and the agony of, of spirit so intense that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Now that's amazing. I've never, I've never witnessed that. I don't know if you have. But I am told that it is a rare physical phenomena uh, called hemodrosis, uh, in which under great emotional stress, the tiny blood vessels rupture in the sweat glands, and they produce a mixture of blood and sweat. And it is well documented today. But it is a physical sign of the great struggle that's going on in the heart of Jesus. And it makes you think that here we are, really, for Jesus, he's at the end of the game. It's time for one last play. Who do you want to have the ball when there's only one more play? You want the calmest guy out there. Imagine the security of the nation is threatened. Threat levels have gone through the roof. Attack is imminent. Who do you want calling the shots? Who do you want at the helm? Who is going to make that big decision as to what to do? Who do you want to have the nuclear codes? You want a guy who's calm under pressure. And that's how Luke presents Jesus in these chapters. He's under extreme pressure. He's under pressure... I don't think any of us will ever imagine or fathom. He's actually sweating drops of blood. And yet at every stage, he's calm. He's in control of himself. But that's not all. And this is where Jesus leaves every sports star, every politician, every surgeon far behind. It's not just that Jesus is in control of himself. Jesus is in control of the events themselves. It's not just that he's able to handle his own adrenaline. He's able to dictate the result. 
It's not just that he's able to act wisely under pressure. He is able to determine the outcome. Jesus isn't just able to respond skillfully to what he finds. He already knows what he will find and has already mapped out the permanent solution to the deepest human problem of all. And Jesus stands out in this because he is in control of the entire sweep of human history, even as he goes through his death. Yes, we look at this. We look at this passage in Luke 22, and we see Jesus as a victim. We see Jesus as a man trying to do good, but the religious rulers of the day will not just receive him as a man from God. That's, that's, that's how they do receive him, when he really is the son of God. But what a story. Here is the story of a victim who's actually in control. And he's accomplishing his mission through these difficult moments of his life. It's the sovereignty of God at work. And this stress and this struggle in the garden is, is more about us than it is about him. Uh, he's going through this great struggle for us. I mean, if we were in the same struggle and had the same options as us, as he did, we would probably have bailed. But not Jesus. He's not thinking of himself as he struggles in great anguish. He uses this experience not for himself, but for others. And Luke says that he walked away about a stone's throw and that he knelt down and he prayed. And he said, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Please take this cup of suffering. Yes, he is asking for the suffering to be removed, if possible. The cup. The cup is also talked about in Jeremiah 25. And the cup there in Jeremiah 25 represents the cup of God's wrath. So it's not just suffering physically that Jesus is concerned about, but it is knowing that he will be the one to bear God's wrath against sin. He is the sinless one who will suddenly be inundated with the sin of everyone who has ever lived. How can you ever imagine that? He will take the awful weight of sin upon himself. And so he says, God, if you, if you have plan B, could you make it operational? If you have another plan that will not require me to take this painful road, would you show it now? Would you reveal it? If, if I can avoid the suffering and still accomplish your will, Father, would you show me that option now? But then he says, at the end of the day, Father, I really, I really want what you want. And that's what I will do. Relinquishment. He wants God's will to be done. God's will is going to be done because God is God. And I certainly am free to express my hopes and my desires and my wants and my options. But in the end, God is God and his will must be accomplished. And I can become very upset at God for the way life is headed and it doesn't change the direction though that life is headed. It's just, it is going that way. 
But my heart is touched that he simply says, Father. Jesus says, Father. It's actually the Aramaic word, Abba, which is translated Dad. Father, Abba, Dad. And, and Jesus has this wonderful relationship with his dad, his father. And he's telling his dad in heaven, this is so hard right now, father. Dad, I'm telling you how I feel. I don't know if you can change it. I don't know if there's another way. But Abba, this would be the time to put the new plan into operation. Might there be another way? This is the school of Gethsemane. This is the prayer of relinquishment. Have you been there? Are you there now? Do you know that you might be there in the seasons ahead? What do you learn in the school of Gethsemane? First of all, there is no prayer of relinquishment without struggle. He was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. The prayer of relinquishment is not easy. It involves struggle. If it doesn't cause any pain, then it is not the prayer of relinquishment. Relinquishment means that you're holding on to something, not wanting to let it go, and it requires a struggle. Have you ever gone through your house and said, oh, let's, uh, let's clean out the rooms today? And you take this 15-year-old sweater with holes in it and you throw it out. Well, that's not hard to do. You got these old pair of sneakers and you, you, you decide they got to go and there's this old dresser and it's got to go. You know, that's purging. That's editing the house. But it is not relinquishing. Relinquishing is holding on to something that's very hard to release. Did you notice that Jesus uh, asked repeatedly for the cup to pass? Repeatedly. For sure, if there was another way, he would have chosen it. He had a free will, and he freely chose to submit his will to the will of the Father. And the struggle went late into the night, this battle that's going on in his heart. Relinquishment is no easy task. Remember the battle that Abraham went through as he relinquished his son Isaac? They went to Mount Moriah, but God had said to Abraham, Take your son, your only son, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. I mean, can you imagine what Abraham must have been going on? They'd, in his mind, in his heart, he'd been praying for so long for this son. And, and, and suddenly in his old age, there's a child that is born to him, and his name is Isaac. And little Isaac is saying all along the way, Dad, we've got the fire and the wood, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? Oh, my, what must have been going through Abraham's heart? My son, if you only knew, if you only knew what God has been asking me to do, if you only knew, I can't even tell you. And then you remember the angel said at just the last second, just as Abraham raises his arm and is about to plunge a knife into his heart, into his son's chest, there's this voice, don't harm this man, don't harm this, my son. And, and Abraham stops just in time, and he's, God says to him, you have not withheld 
from me, even your son, your only son. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. The prayer of relinquishment, the act of relinquishing. And how about Moses as he relinquished his understanding of how the deliverer of Israel should function? He's way out there in the back quarter, and God is saying, I want you to go down to Egypt. I want you to deliver my people. And he's raising all kinds of protests. Who am I that I should go? And finally, after a series of responses by God, he says, okay, God, okay, I I surrender. I will go. How about Mary when the angel came with the news that she would be the woman through whom the Messiah would be born? And it looks so easy as you read it in Scripture, like she just says, let it be unto me as you've said. But oh, the cost of that decision, the prayer of relinquishment. And Paul relinquished to the Lord with the situation that is called the thorn in the flesh. He prayed three separate times for that thorn to be taken away. But in the end, God wanted him to have that thorn. And he said, my grace is sufficient. And Paul relinquished that. And he spent the rest of his days resting in the fact that although the thorn was still there, God was providing that for him all the way. And I'm sure now Paul knows in glory what it was all about, why he needed to keep that thorn. But God said, my grace is sufficient. So first, there is no prayer of relinquishment without struggle. Maybe you've been struggling with something for a long time. It's hard to release to God and just say, God, I I only want your will. I only want your will. So I relinquish this. I release it. Help me in this struggle. And then, friends, the prayer of relinquishment is a release with hope. It is a release with hope. Uh, To be sure, it is a bona fide letting go, but it's different. It is a release with hope. So when you can't see down the road, when you don't know how it's going to turn out, you relinquish it, but you do so with a confidence that you put it into God's hands and he's going to provide the best, whatever that looks like. And that's where the trust fact factor comes in. Do you know the name Borden Dairies or Borden Milk? Uh, in 1904, William Borden graduated from grade 12. He was heir apparent to the, this uh, massive company called Borden Milk. And for a grad gift, his parents gave him a trip around the world. That's pretty impressive in 1904. Something happened in his travels that ignited his heart for missions. When he came back home, he actually wrote two words in his Bible. And even with all the inheritance that he had already and knew he was going to get, he wrote in his Bible, No Reserve. In other words, that he would give himself to living for God without any reserve. Well, he entered Yale University, and it was there in Yale University he started a prayer group, and within the first year there were 150 freshmen, or first-year students, praying. After four years of being at Yale, out of the 1,300 student enrollment, a hundred, a thousand of them, a thousand of them, were in prayer groups. 
on a regular basis, all because of that young man's heart. But his heart for missions never left him. After graduation, he was offered several high-paying positions, but he turned them all down. Instead, he moved his heart towards seminary. And he wrote another two words in his Bible called, No Retreat. He determined in his heart that he was going to go forward, that he would follow God, whatever the cost. And so he wrote in his Bible, say no to self and say yes to Jesus every time. And that was his heart. That was his motto. And it was deep inside of him to give God his best. When he finished seminary, he had a growing desire to reach the Muslims in China for Christ. And he went to Egypt to language school to study Arabic, which would allow him to minister to the Muslims in China. One month into his language study, he contacted spinal meningitis, and he passed away. But right before he died, he had another two words below these other words, no reserves, no retreat. He put no regrets, no regrets. His whole life, his whole life became a life of relinquishing. The trajectory of his life could, could have been so different had he decided to take a position or be the owner of Borden Milk. But he, he decided that he would give his life for Christ and that Christ had called him to a particular area of ministry and he authentically could write, no regrets, no regrets. I tell that story simply to say we don't know how our lives will unfold. You only have today, but you don't know what tomorrow looks like. And because we don't know uh, how much better, uh, and because we can trust God with every inch and every, every centimeter of our life, it behooves us to just continually say to him, Take control of my life. What are you holding on to that keeps you from being your best for God? Is it a job? Is it a possession? Is it, is it status? Is it position? Is it career? Is it money? Is it family? Is it your children? Is it your spouse? Is it your parents? What are you holding on to with the white of your knuckles? Pride? Personal agenda? What is it? And can you say, not my will, but yours be done? Can you surrender it? Can you put a focus around it? The prayer of relinquishment is a bona fide letting go, but it is a release with hope. Uh, in other words, it's not a fatalistic approach. I'm done. <laughs> Signing off. This isn't going to work. We're hooped. No, this is not a fatalistic resignation. We're buoyed up by a confident trust in the character of God. As Richard Foster wrote in a book, a wonderful book he authored 23 years ago, a book called Prayer. Even when all we see are the tangled threads on the backside of life's tapestry, we know that God is good and is out to do good always to us. And so that gives us hope 
to believe that we're winners. We're always winners when we surrender to God, regardless of what we're called upon to relinquish. That God is inviting us deeper in. He's inviting us higher up. There is a training in righteousness that's happening. There is a transforming power. There are new joys. And there's new intimacy. And, and you know, sometimes the very things that we relinquish are given back to us. And God just wants to know, are you willing? Are you willing? Last Sunday, Pastor Norb referenced the time that this young TCC congregation prayed in 2004 just outside uh, this building here. We prayed for God's favor to be able to purchase this land. And many of you know the story. And we eventually did purchase the land. But it was a whole five years later. And the doors just seemed to close for a long time. And in the meantime, we all truly felt that it wasn't going to happen. And I know that it, it, I've shared with that you before that I struggled so much to relinquish that dream because I felt it was so perfect. This would be the perfect place. Uh, finally, we had no choice but to say, relinquish it and trust God for what he's going to do. And it's an amazing story of how the very thing we relinquished was given back to us. I just want to say, though, that doesn't always happen. There are times when the release, the relinquishment, is what it is. It's over. It's finished. It will not come back. When that happens, we have to trust in the wisdom of God and ask for the grace to rest in his peace. I'm sure that I cannot answer why God does what he does and, what, and that he wants us to simply relinquish. In some cases, God has something better for us. Maybe it is a timing issue. God's not finished with that situation, but there's a timing. And all the people in that occasion, all the factors in that situation, they need more time. And like we say, God is just lining up the ducks. And in some cases, God has a greater good. We are holding on to what we feel is good, but we cannot receive the greater good that we don't know. God has a greater good that we do not know. And sometimes God has to help us let go of the tiny vision that we have in order to release the greater good that he desires for us. And he's saying, don't settle for that. Oh, I've got so much more. No, no, no. If you go that way, it'll impact your whole life. I have so much more. We might be willing to settle for less, but God has the very best for us. So there is a dying to self that, that is hard, but it actually produces a great joy and a great peace in our hearts. Remember how the Apostle Paul phrased it in Galatians? Uh, he said, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for it is, if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I've been crucified with Christ. He's, he's relinquished his life for me. And he trusted God for the outcome. And that's his call upon my life. And God does something in our hearts when we relinquish to him. There is a fuller, deeper work that he does among us. 
And it's a sign of our trust. It's a sign of our communion with him. Lord, it's hard, but I trust you with this. It's hard, but I trust you with this. Whatever happens, oh, it's a battle. I just trust you for the outcome that you want. And when I have that, then I have all that I need. I like the words of Soren Kierkegaard. Yet I must admit, these words make me nervous. He wrote, God creates everything out of nothing. And everything which God is to use, he first reduces to nothing. God creates everything out of nothing, and everything which God is to use, he first reduces to nothing. A.W. Tozer talks about the freedom that comes from a crucifixion of the will. Wow, he says it means freedom from the everlasting burden of always having to get our own way. It means freedom to care for others, to genuinely put their needs first, to give joyfully and freely. And I understand what he's saying, but oh, the battles that I fight to get there. It's a slow process. It's not like the tornado that comes in and just changes everything right now. But it's more like a grain of sand in an oyster changing things. We come to some new perspectives and a deep trust in God that he's faithful. We see more clearly the character and the love of God. We wait patiently before him. We know he's good and he always desires the best for us. So we always start on that foundation. If that foundation is weak, prop it up. We know that he's good. He always desires the best good for us. The prayer of relinquishment. Can you give me a formula? Could you just spell it out how it works? What should I follow? No. No. I expect the best strategy is a day-by-day practice. The will is surrendered moment by moment as you walk through your regular, everyday, ordinary day and all of the decisions that day, home, family, job, life, they're all relinquished to the Father. So the practice will come through lived out experience every day and every day, surrendering your life anew, the little things and the big things. Lifting up into, your, into his arms your kids, your spouse, your friends. Placing into his care your future, your hopes, your dreams. And holding up in front of him your enemies, your angers, your fears, your desire for retaliation. Give it all into his hands and turn around and walk away. Turn around and walk away. And he'll give you what you need. Struggle, oh yes, but struggle with hope. Amen? Let's stand together, please. Lord, you, you see all of our hurts this morning. You see our struggles. You see our pain. Lord, this morning there are people here this morning that are, that are dealing with something in their life that is a battle. It's a battle to surrender. 
I pray in these moments you just give liberty to surrender. And Lord, you see the tension of wanting to hand over to you those things that bind us, and yet we maybe don't want to hand them over either. Oh, Lord, help us today to release, to trust, to know that at the end of the day you will honor and bless however it turns out. Hear our prayer. Father, we're here today because of your Son who prayed the prayer of relinquishment. And Paul reminds us of that. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him and elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we allow you to be Lord today in our lives. Do your work freely, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.